welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, with my guest today, Sean Patrick Kane. They're a game designer responsible for games such as Long Haul 1983, Tattoo, and Fake Chess. Welcome. Hey, Logar. Thanks so much for having me. Thank nice you to be coming. here. Oh, it's great. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> what is Fake Chess? Yeah. All right. So Fake Chess is, it started out as an entry in a game jam called the Not A Game Game Jam. Kind of like trying to push what a game could be and what it's not. Um, I ended up writing an actual game, but it's definitely not a game of chess. <laughs> Basically, it is a role-playing game, board game, LARP kind of hybrid where you sit down with an opponent. There's a chessboard in front of you. You each have a piece of paper, almost like the note-taking sheets that you see in competitions. Um, and you get to act like you know what you're doing. So <laughs> from an outside perspective, if someone was watching this, it would look like you were in a very heated battle of chess. Um, you'd be staring at those pieces, you'd be walking around the room, you'd be accusing your opponent of doing dirty tricks, but it is all for show. The entire game exists on these little pieces of paper in front of you that cue you up to move pieces and put them down and do certain performance aspects, like hold your breath for 10 seconds and cover your mouth and then move a piece. Um, and so it's a game that kind of playfully mocks the kind of, <laughs> you know, very elite, uh kind of you know the authoritarian aspects of chess and chess culture and uh yeah it's really fun <laughs> i think chess might have been one of the first games i learned to play as a kid to be honest now i think it was definitely predates D D for me uh my dad oh, yeah. taught me how to play chess when i was young <laughs> <laughs> are you Man. good um no 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 but it's fun <laughs> I did join the yeah. chess club for a minute at when I, at, I had a brief stint in college uh, when I was before I when I was uh, younger that I didn't actually finish up before I went back and got a degree many years later. <laughs> and while I was in that brief stint, I did do the chess club for a moment. <laughs> OK, well, you're on a, you're at a much higher tier than I am right now. <laughs> I also learned as a kid, but it's like I understand how each of the pieces move. I understand how you win or specifically how you lose. <laughs> and yes. that's about it. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where everyone, everyone kind of knows it, you know, everyone has a chessboard sitting in their room somewhere. Everyone kind of has seen movies and TV shows where people have these intense battles. And I love that that's like a real access point to this weird little game. Well, I, and I'll be a hundred percent honest. I hadn't had a, a chessboard in years until I watched <laughs> the Queen's Gambit and went on eBay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, um, I was watching the Queen's Gambit. And that was definitely one of those things that like right at the moment I was living with family and um, we have a grandparent who is, you know, not as spry as he used to, but still really loves chess. So I was playing with that. Um, we were binging the Queen's Gambit and I was like, there's so much here. Right. <laughs> but it's also so hard. And so I made fake chess. And then uh, last year, I was able to actually release, if the game was not ridiculous enough, I released a 100-page sequel to Fake Chess <laughs> called Fake Chess Book of Champions that actually takes the core idea and then introduces a dozen specific characters and archetypes. So, you know, Beth Harmon from Queen's Gambit or Lawrence Fishburne's character in Searching for Bobby Fischer, um, the Angel of Death in The Seventh Seal. And you get to actually play the game of Fake Chess with those particular prototypes so you've got a game 
called Long Haul 1983. Now, I'm very much, I, I'm very used to regular, like, old school role-playing games. I think this might be a little different than, to a, lot, than a lot of the stuff I'm used to. Is this like a solo game or... Yes, it is. So it's a single player role playing game um, that comes from a really amazing game that was released in 2020 called uh, The Wretched by Chris Bissett. Uh The Wretched is kind of a single player sci fi. You're trapped alone with an alien outside and you're using a Jenga tower to see how long you can survive and you inevitably will die. <laughs> it is it is that kind of game. Um, you're playing to see how you lose and kind of explore the character. And so my game, Long Haul 1983, takes some of the basic core mechanics around kind of drawing cards to deliver prompts and the basic story of like, you know, survival and precarity and shifts it into a very different time period and a very different kind of vibe of the game, if that makes sense. Um, so as you play it, you are a truck driver in a very empty world of the early 80s, um, trying to make it home to somebody important. And the way you tell the story is that as you draw cards that give you storytelling prompts, um, the premise is at the end of every day, your truck driver finds a payphone and leaves a message for the person they're trying to get to. And so the actual act of performing and kind of improvising that message in character is how the story kind of unfolds and how you tell the game. And then when you're done, you're left with this bank of memos that actually become their own artifact and their own kind of audio play of your journey. I think the other one that I had seen you had made, the other game that you have out is called Tattoo. And it's it's not solo game. It's it's Well, it's actually described as a party game. Yes, it is. It is very much not a solo game. <laughs> do I do I get? Am I going to leave this game with a new tattoo? I hope. <laughs> well, I, I would love I would love for people to treat it legacy style and actually do the tattoos for real. I do um, have a couple of tattoo guns lying around the house. <laughs> oh, Logar, let's play together. Man. Let's do this. Let's do a varsity level version of this game. It's been a while since I've used one. You might not want that tattoo. <laughs> I've got some scratches on me. <laughs> <laughs> so how does it work what are we doing yeah so um tattoo is another game that i was thinking about much like fake chess around how can we kind of scaffold and have access to these kind of weird role-playing elements with a familiar idea and so tattoo is a gmless role-playing game about people who work at a tattoo parlor and their clients and the reality show um, the fictional reality show that kind of spotlights them. I was watching a lot of Ink Master during the pandemic. <laughs> um, it's also a competitive party game where people are actually drawing the tattoos their clients are doing, and there's a whole token-based economy. And it's entirely built around a really, really bad I joke that I could not let go of um, because it's also a hack of the party game Taboo. Right? Okay, I'm not. Um, I, I'm gonna put this out there. I've never played Taboo. I don't think oh, I have okay, heard great. or seen it though. <laughs> great. So Taboo is a word guessing game where basically you get a card and you're trying to get people to guess a word, and you can't say any of the very helpful words on the card. So you have to be like, you know, if there's if the word is bear, you can't say claws or grizzly or smoky. Right? You gotta oh. be like uh, Ursa Major. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, 
little boo-boo, right? Like you have to like give these very obscure clues. And so one of the core parts of tattoo is that when you're the client, you draw a series of taboo cards, which is already really hard to navigate. And those become your design that you have to try to communicate. <laughs> um, and so there's a play behind, you know, role-playing a really unhelpful client at a tattoo parlor. Um, <laughs> that so it's just, it's just, it's just being a tattooist and dealing with somebody you're getting ready exactly. to tattoo. No. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. that, is, that is exactly right. It's a very tattooist positive and client negative game. And I understand <laughs> those politics might not always apply, but for the game, it's a hell of a lot of fun. And so that's the kind of party game aspect of it is that you're actually playing a game that a lot of people kind of have sitting around or you can grab a yard sale, but <laughs> it's shifting it into this uh, role-playing game kind of setting and dynamic. Well, it looks like I'm going to end up with a bear tattoo before the end of the night. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> Let me ask what, how you got into putting games out and, and where you started game-wise. Like what got you into it? Yeah, thank you for asking. I have a fairly untraditional kind of uh, narrative in that I did not grow up playing tabletop role-playing games. Um, I got into the board game scene a little about 10 years ago when that, you know, the board game renaissance was happening. Um, and then about five years ago, my partner and I moved to California and knew nobody. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to see if anyone wants to come over to my house. And I literally just like put a post on Reddit and I was like, would anyone like to come over and play some board games? And I was like, this is, this could be disastrous, but it could be kind of neat. And I got some people to cut together and it was a really nice vibe. And I was like, oh, this is great. And so I started a meetup community um, that was entirely based around hosting strangers in other people's homes, playing games together. Um, and it, it taught me a lot about building a safe community and how and who to invite to these kinds of things. And just like, so you know, how to host a night. Um, we had over a hundred events the first year. And as we were hosting these events, I started shifting away from just typical board games and into role-playing games. I was started reading and kind of like exploring that scene. And, uh, you know, I remember looking at, you know, Monster Hearts and Apocalypse World, a lot of the PBTA games. And um, the first game I ever ran and the first game I ever played was Troika. To give you an example, I did a, oh, I did yes, a Troika yes, one-shot. just ran that recently. And it's wild. <laughs> and it's so much fun and lovely. And I had such a great time. And so, you know, there's this whole, like, GM to designer pipeline, right? Like, you start, you know, like, ooh, like, I'd love to kind of, like, make a character. I'd love to kind of, like, get people to do this. So I'd love to set someone up to, to have this experience. And suddenly your kind of brain is turning. Um, but it's only in the past um, 18 months that I've actually started uh, designing and releasing games of my own. So I, I have an avenue that's completely outside of the typical kind of like D&D or traditional RPG pipeline. I, I either miss that or circumvented it, depending <laughs> on how you want to frame it. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes my design work kind of unusual is mm -hmm. that I think I'm through no intention of my own kind of, I don't come with those, you know, decades of experience of what a role-playing game should be. And so that playfulness is something I really try to hold on to. Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I don't know if I'm an old man or not. When I was in my thirties, <laughs> I thought I was getting old. And then when I was in my forties, um, you know, I was like, Oh, I was just in my thirties. <laughs> yeah. Like 
I look at myself now. Like, I don't think I'm old now that I've gotten older. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm still young and spry. Well, listen, you look but... great. And as someone who turned 40 this year, I feel you, you know, <laughs> nothing but a number, Logar. Yeah. So like, <laughs> like, uh, but what I'm saying is like, like, like I've been playing these games for 30, over 30 years now. And I just, I do, I do have like a baggage with my games. There are things that I really want that are older things that I grew up with as a kid. Like that's how it was when I was a kid and I wanted. Sure. I acknowledge that. It's also like with, with films and stuff like that. I think this thing occurs, like people get really invested in like a franchise of a cartoon that they grew up with. And they look at it with rose colored glasses. Mm -hmm. And I definitely do that with games. So you're saying that, and, and that's definitely a benefit for doing something different because I tend to keep myself stuck in a corner. I learn a lot from other people. <laughs> yeah. Well, can I ask you a question? Do you also feel that all those years of experience actually kind of let you notice those like surprising and unexpected things that you encounter in the community that other people might not notice, right? Like, I feel like if I had spent 30 years playing a single game and then suddenly, you know, I... I enter the itch.io marketplace. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, yeah, what is going on right now? We were, we played a lot of role playing games coming Okay, back. cool. And so there's a diverse amount of, because I didn't even start with DD. I actually started with, 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 and I said that everybody that listens to the show is probably tired of hearing me saying it. I started with the Doctor Who Fossa role playing game <laughs> in the 80s. Oh, that's <laughs> rad. Yeah. And I was really into Doctor Who as a kid. It was, it was bad. It was embarrassing. But, um, <laughs> But I um, I played a lot of different games. So I mm -hmm. definitely, when I see what's going on on Itch, it's, it still is very, there's a lot of things that are very different than what I'm used to and yeah. break away from even those, even though I tried a lot of different things. But I like the innovative and new because I'm always looking for that. Even though I'm into old school games, one of the reasons I'm into them is because when I go back to the core stuff and the old stuff, I can come out with something new each time. Yeah. So I like seeing these new things being and they're being merging with other forms of game. And it's just very organic. Everything's kind of being driven by the community, people sharing things and it's evolving in real time almost. Yeah. And I love the way you say that because, you know, it doesn't, I feel like I firmly believe that like the game is incomplete until it's played. Mm -hmm. Right. It yeah. doesn't matter what I put on the page. It doesn't matter my art or my style or how clear my directions are like until some other people start running it like that game is not yet a game and so when I hear you talk about that it's a really great reminder that like whether it's like the most traditional game or this new weird experimental lyric game or anything in between it's that like you the players are bringing so much to it so the, the game might be from the 80s but your ideas and your experience is of now right mm -hmm. Yes. And I feel like as long as people are taking that approach, that's what's going to keep it fresh, right? It's not necessarily, oh, a brand new mechanic or a brand new rule set. It's like, can we approach each actual moment of play looking for that new stuff? Like, what can I do now? And I'm sure that's a lot more important. Okay, I'm going to derail this whole conversation. I'm going to go <laughs> back to something you said earlier because I want to ask. You said something that really intrigued me earlier, talking about having strangers over into other people's houses <laughs> and, and boundaries and safety. I, I'm curious if you could give us a quick idea of some of that that you learned and have implemented and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like one thing that I 
really learned very quickly when I was setting up that gaming community is there is no value in being indirect with the kind of community you're trying to build, right? Yes. Um, that you learn very quickly that you cannot be unclear and you cannot be unobvious, right? And that goes from everything from like the kind of events you want to run because I'm sure people, you know, there's the standard thing where someone sits down to play an RPG and the GM has one idea and the player has another and there's suddenly like a tension at the table because they're not on the same page. And then the broader ideas of like who this community is for. And, and we built that community because where we were living, there were, there were a lot of gaming nights and gaming events, but they were all very kind of focused on game stores. They were all very focused on kind of like if you can imagine uh, spaces that were very unwelcoming, not because they were antagonistic towards new people, but because welcoming wasn't the focus, right? Yes. Um, they were also very kind of like, um, they were very straight and very white and very male driven spaces and pulling it out and like putting it in people's living rooms and putting those values of like who we want this community for right up front does so much to both let folks know that, hey, like you are welcome here. We're excited to have you. And also kind of lets just people know where you stand. And as long as you can follow up on that, as long as you can back it up, there are people there who will value that and savor it and kind of continue working with it. The community has been alive now. Like I don't longer live in California. I passed off the leadership reins, but it's still going. And, you know, there are hundreds of members and we have hundreds of events on the calendar and it's all just happening in people's living rooms when they open the door and say like, hi, I'm so-and-so, who are you? Like you signed up. And there are a lot of like formal things around like safety protocols and kind of like agreements. And we onboard our hosts in very particular ways to make sure they know how to address behaviors and how to welcome people in a way that feels responsive and thoughtful. But I think that's all in the service of just kind of defining your community the way you want. And yes. being really, really passionate about that. Um, one thing I and I one thing I've been clear about on the show is that I've been very politically active in the past and activism has been a thing of mine and we've had to deal with spaces in different manners. Um, specifically, I was involved in a Catholic worker house and sometimes being a very open space, you don't know who's coming through there and stuff like that. And if you're not familiar with Catholic workers house, Dorothy Day was like a, a Christian anarchist in the early 1900s. A lot of the Catholic worker houses are Christian focused and some of them are kind of agnostic, more anarchist commune type places in different cities is still around to this day. So that's kind of a side thing. And yeah. one of the things is trying to navigate some of these spaces with all these different people and making sure that it is a safe place for everybody. And that's that can be a messy thing to deal with sometimes. We ran into a lot of complications despite um, intention and things like that. And sometimes there are points in time, I, I've had game groups where we've had to ask people to leave the group because they were not safe. So, I mean, have you run into any kind of complications like that in the past or had to have any kind of conversations like that in coming yeah. to discover this? Definitely, definitely. And I think, um, you know, when I'm listening to you talk about your experience, it comes down to this thing where like the myth of being welcoming or the myth of being inclusive or the myth of being, uh, you know, um, 
like for like the myth of being tolerant is that like the paradox of tolerance exactly exactly you can't <laughs> um thank you for bringing that to me. uh yeah like you can't welcome everybody right there are certain people who are and must be unwelcome in these welcoming spaces because if not you they are the ones who take up the space and send the message of what kind of space it is yes. right so for us when we were kind of building out this community and thinking about at a very basic level like how do we kind of do this safely like safely for like other participants safely for the people who are opening their doors in their homes safely for like the credibility of the people who are leading this community one of the things was that you know um if you wanted to join us just like literally like sign up for the meetup you could but there were some questions and the questions were really obvious it was like hey like what do you like to play what are your pronouns what's your availability right mm -hmm. yes and I, when I put up those three things, I was like, oh, that's just like an icebreaker. But it was interesting how that pronouns question really sorted some people out very quickly, right? Yes. Um, people who pushed back at the idea of being asked about what your pronouns would be and had no problem typing it right in and hit and send as if that was an okay thing, right? So that we thought about like, what are those other questions that will kind of like send a message, but also kind of, you can get a real clear response of someone from a very basic answer because of like what they think they can do with that answer. Yes. Um, I think in the moment, in the live spaces, right. Um, we definitely, I've definitely had to ask people to leave my home before. Um, and uh, I've definitely had kind of follow-ups after where, you know, I check in with a few people and I was like, Hey, like I got this I, I had a strange vibe and I'm sorry if I wasn't able to address it in the moment, because I, in the moment, like, I'll just be clear, like, I wasn't sure how to respond and I didn't, and I didn't do enough. And I hope you're okay. How are you feeling? And I think making sure that those responses aren't just to the person who is causing the problem or, you know, making someone feel uncomfortable, but also to all the other people at the table or in the room so they understand that you're not letting it slide is a really important thing. And to be honest, like, I know this is a very big knock on wood kind of moment, <laughs> but I think the testament to the fact that we really made our values clear up front is that when I did have to ask people to leave an event or when I followed up with them later and was like, hey, listen, I need to talk to you because you said something at the table that made people very uncomfortable. I had, a, I had a great success rate with that being a, a thoughtful and clear conversation without a lot of pushback or antagonism. I think whether people agreed that what they did crossed a line, they were comfortable with the idea that it didn't really matter if they had the intention of crossing a line, that they understood the kind of values and protocols and rules and norms of this community that we were building, and they, they got it. And those are hard conversations to navigate. And I don't think I'm great at them, but I think those are the really valuable conversations to have, right? Yes. And, you know, I wish everyone was always the coolest, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, but, but that's not it. And I want to make sure that the people who are the coolest, like, aren't feeling unsupported or unbacked up or unwelcome because someone else is at the table and people aren't addressing it yeah and i mean just straight up like 
So one thing I've learned is that social interactions are complicated. And especially when you're dealing with stuff like that, um, like our game group isn't open to strangers. We are pretty intentional about checking some folks out before inviting them into our space. And largely because we have, we have players who are people of color, um, various, uh, you know, we have trans players, uh, queer players, various strike. We have, a slightly diverse it's not the most 100 we have mostly white guys but we have a diverse we have a diverse group that's kind of fused in there in our various games and i don't want to bring someone into my house who is going to be unsafe with those people those people are my friends i care about them i, I like they're i'm close to them like those are the people i ask in my house and i don't want someone in here who's going to be offensive or rude or just straight hateful or unsafe around them i have had to ask people to leave game before um i'm, I'm not going to give any specific specific example honestly the, the the people i've had to ask to leave game the most it usually involved um sexual inappropriate comments and things like that with women we were playing with is the times i've most had to do that um can i ask how it goes like how do those conversations play out for you um, so I've had a lot of conversations like that over the years, not just with the game, but like also in other organizations and they're, yeah. they're not good. They're not comfortable. Like I've had conversations where I've had to sit down with somebody who is, um, who was a, a, a people who are a, a abusive, uh, rapists, sexual predators. And honestly, I am, I'm a, I was a Marine at one point in time. I'm not mm -hmm. like. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a beefy, uh, masculine <laughs> feller. And because of that, my spot in a lot of these communities has been, okay, I'm the one who has to go talk to and deal with and turn around the, the feller who is the rapist or, or the abuser and stuff like that. I'm the one and that's because that is, uh, a safer place for me to be with that guy yeah. usually like it, it's just straight up like hey bud we need to talk there's some problems and i've definitely sat down with a lot of guys over the years and had some really uncomfortable discussions um they all none of them are the same because the complexities of these situations can vary greatly mm -hmm. Uh, and how do they go? Um, from my perspective, they're always horrible. <laughs> it's, always, <laughs> it's never good. But perhaps considering what's going on at times, it goes better than other times, if okay. that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. And, and that is as, as something I hate. I, I loathe it. But it's, it's something that has to be done, especially if you're going to keep a space, uh, a safe space, because people you say safe space. Guess what? I've said this before. I spent five years in the Marine Corps. I don't want any more spaces that are unsafe. Yeah. I've, I've had those in my life. I want a safe space for my children, for my family, and for my friends. Yeah, when I go someplace, I want to feel secure, safe, not like I have to worry about the people around me. If I'm in a place like that, I don't want to be there. I don't know why anybody would. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... No, it's that makes total sense. And and like as someone, you speak as someone who wants to kind of not just be in a space, but also kind of you know help shape that space. 
Oh. And I think that is, that feels so goddamn good. You know, like that feels so good to be able to do that, but you don't get at it by not actively cultivating and curating and, mm-hmm. you know, redirecting and, you know, really putting a lot of time and emotional energy into shaping that space. Like one can't happen without the other. And a lot of times things are like, I'm it's like, I might have to address something with somebody like, I might not do it. Like I've had plenty of instances where I've been like, okay, someone has said or done this thing that's making people uncomfortable. I will wait to the point when we're alone and driving around. I was like, look, man, you can't do that. Like, yeah. like you got to realize there's an issue here, like, and try to be, Ooh. and it turns out better sometimes than others. Those conversations have to be had just in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I know they're not easy and you don't want to do them because I, I, I feel anxiety going into conversations like that. I can feel like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I want to push them off. There's times I have. I'm not going to lie. There's times like, well, let's just wait and see if he starts coming around again, then I'll do. I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's happened. Yeah. And then there's then you have to sometimes like, OK, I can't push this off. I have to have it. You don't want to do it. No, that discomfort is real. That is a real thing. It takes a little bit of courage and you got to pull yourself up and be uncomfortable and be like, look, I got to talk to you about something, man. And sometimes it comes out easier than other times. And I'm saying, man, because honestly, it's been yeah. mostly straight men that I've had to mm-hmm. do this with. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, it, and it, like there, and I think the thing that is really hard is that that discomfort can lead to kind of like logical next steps that feel okay in the moment. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. especially if, you know, if I'm not talking about like someone at my table in my house, if it's just like someone who signed up, who immediately gives off a strange vibe. Right. It's very easy for me just to be like, Oh, click, remove, ban, done. But taking that time to actually address it with that person to let them know, right. Not in a way that's like designed only to make them feel lousy, but to make sure they understand what's happening and what the contributing factors are to that moment, I think is the right amount of respectful, but also the right amount of clear to make sure that you get that practice actually articulating those values and like saying what you want to say. Um, it's great practice. And here's the other thing too. It's not always we're going to have to confront this person and kick them out and ban them. A lot of times it's just, we have to talk and we have to change a few things. A lot of times it's, it's a matter of at times it can be a matter of just accountability, holding people accountable and say, Hey, we need to do, to do some accountability work in this space that we're working here. We're going to have to ask this and this of you. and, and, And we may have a buddy or someone kind of stick with you to help this happen. If you need any help. And sometimes it's just, Oh man, you're right. I screwed up. Thanks for pointing it out. I've had easy conversations like that and I've had difficult ones. It happens. Yeah. 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 And if, if I'm going to, and here's the thing too, at the end of the day, everything put aside, one thing that I've seen, I'm bringing this right back to my role-playing games is that when I'm able to try to create that space and, and the more successful I am about addressing those issues, my game groups are much larger. They thrive and I got great, better players and everything else. It helps my game go better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I mean, having, you know, yeah, the, the, the numbers alone, right? Like, because people do value that. Like, whether yes. it's something they witness directly or if they just kind of understand from 
the larger kind of vibe and culture that you're giving off and building, people understand that and respond to it. And I think that's one of those really kind of like rewarding things. Like that's, that's, that's what I use to get over that discomfort that makes me want to be a little more passive, a yeah. little more kind of that. Yeah. You'd rather this later. You'd rather. I would 100% rather not deal with any of that or say anything. I don't want to. It sucks. It's not something I want to deal with. We're running about on time. I would like it if you <laughs> could tell our listeners where they can find your games online and find you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you again. So uh, my name is Sean Patrick Kane, and um, I publish under my initials, SPC. Uh, so you can find all my games at spc.itch.io and on twitter i'm just at my name so at sean patrick kane if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today <laughs> please give us a positive review wherever you're listening those of you that have i want to thank you so much you can find us on facebook search wobblies and wizards wobblies and wizards.com is our blog i'm on twitter at logar crom we're on patreon we can really use your support if you're able to, please give us a little support there. Check it out, patreon.com, Wobblies and Wizards. And those of you that are supporting us, thank you so much. And as always, keep those dice rolling. <laughs>